following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Blinds galore. Black Friday and Cyber Monday are right around the corner. Get to BlindsGalore.com today and order up to 15 free samples so you're ready when the big sales start on November 23rd. All right, the experts at BlindsGalore.com know how to get you a designer look without a designer price, and you can do it all right from home. I've seen Adam Carolla's windows at his house. I've seen Dr. Drew's windows at his house, and their windows look so good. And they use blinds galore. Just take your measurements and you can customize it all online. They got custom blinds, shades, and shutters. They have it all. And uh, they're a family owned and run company. So that's, they've been doing this for over 20 years. So you know they know what they're talking about. They're experts at making it easy. They even have shades that, that can connect directly to your smart home, phone, or Amazon Alexa. So these are up to date, modern looking shades and blinds. And if you have any questions, they have expert customer care that has covered over 2 million windows and they'll be happy to help you every step of the way either online or over the phone you got to check it out it's blinds galore right geo blindsgalore.com makes it easy to get the high quality designer blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home all at a great price all at up to 45 percent off see for yourself at blindsgalore.com today and let them know adam sent you that's blindsgalore.com Hi, and welcome back to Corolla Classics for Sunday, November 21st, 2021. You know how the show goes. We're going to play some clips from the history of the Adam Corolla Show. My name's Chris Loxamana. I'm the executive producer of the Adam Corolla Show. And with me, as always, Corolla archivist, super fan Giovanni. Happy Sunday, Chris. Happy Sunday to you, Gio. And I want to remind everybody, you get extra Corolla Classics next week, so make sure to tune in for three episodes because we got your Black Friday taken care of too. All right, let's go with our first clip of today. We're going to continue the conversation with Artie Lang that we played yesterday. Let's get to it from June of 2009. Adam Kroll Show 91. This one starts off with a nice uh, compliment for both Adam and Jimmy and how they appear when they're on stern and like how they can engage with the show uh, that I think Jimmy would really appreciate hearing but he probably has no idea that Artie ever delivered. Uh, it's a really great chunk. It's the rest of the interview. I uh, hope you guys enjoy. You know, you and Jimmy work so brilliant on the show. And this is an interesting thing. Not many people know this. Howard admitted on the air, you you were offered the job before me. He did. Yeah, he, you, you were going to do it. You turned it down. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, and sure. uh, then Howard gave me the job because uh, you and Jimmy were hilarious on the show. Because you didn't crowbar a stand-up act into the show. That's what a lot of comics try to do. Howard likes you to hang right. and be witty and funny. And during the news, you could do it about current events. And, I mean, there was one day me, you, and Jimmy were sitting back there. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, the thing about you know not having to crowbar in or shoehorn in a stand-up comedy act, it's, it makes it easy when you don't have material. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. There's nothing to shoehorn. There's no right. foot to shoehorn into the loafer. Well, yeah, right. Well, so, people say to me, do you prepare stuff tonight before? And I'm like, no, because that would be all that was in my head. When am I going to say this joke? Plus, you know, how are you going to do that? I well, mean, I could, technically, you don't really know where things are going. You have no idea where the conversation's going to end up. Well, exactly. And here's how, to st- here's how Howard fools you sometimes, too. Like Francis Ford Coppola came in the other day. Sure. And um, everyone who listens to the show knows I know The Godfather by heart. Right. So I figured Coppola's coming in. I prepared a scene in case Howard said, do any scene. And I, 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 I know the whole movie, but I, I did the scene in my head that I know the best. Um, 
it's the scene where all the families are together and like he's like, uh, yeah, is, is vengeance going to bring your son back to you or mine to me? Like, so I prepare that. Mm-hmm. So at the end, sure enough, Howard's going to let me do a scene, but he says to Coppola, Hold Fran- on, is that Talia Shire? <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. No, that was actually Abe Vigoda. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, all you saw was three. Yeah, all I saw three, but I love the shit out of it. And I said, you can never do better than this. So I didn't yeah. want to be ruined by you know watching I, the first You know what I say two. to people if you buy the Godfather trilogy? Mm. Watch one and two and do coke off of three. Yeah. <laughs> and then load it into a trap and get out a shotgun. So anyway, so Howard, of course, goes to me, and I'm ready to do the scene. But the twist that Howard always puts on it, he says to Coppola, Francis, you pick any scene from The Godfather, and Artie will do it verbatim. And he picked the scene, the scene where Michael goes in and, and tells Carlo he wants to know how Carlo had Sonny killed. Mm-hmm. And it took me a little while, but I got it. I did it, really? almo- I did it almost verbatim. And then I missed one part that I corrected, and Coppola started out looking pissed off because I'm only the nine millionth asshole to quote The Godfather sure. to him. But on The Stern Show, and Howard asked, he tolerated it, and at the end he actually applauded. And uh, I, I got it right. Well, what happens with the guys like Coppola is he wants to come in and plug whatever he wants to come in and plug. Right. Like it's the Monica Lewinsky syndrome, which is she <laughs> wants to talk about her handbags right. and you want to talk about sucking cock. <laughs> <laughs> Cigars up your twat. Right. No, well, so well, she's uh, like, well, in May, we're coming out with a new line. The Chrysler. <laughs> so what did it feel like to be raped with a Cuban? <laughs> That's the rape by a Cuban? No. I'll yeah, tell you, you what know, that's like. And that's the whole thing. Like, whenever someone comes on the show that's sort of like that, is the publicist will go, yeah. please limit the talk to, or let's try to focus on, but who the fuck wants to hear about what, what you're doing now? Well, we want to talk about what you did then. The greatest story ever is Fred Gwynn, who played Herman Munster. Sure. He was one of these actors who also painted. Right. He wanted to come on the show, and he told, he told Gary... No questions about the Munsters. I just want right. to talk about my art. Right. And Howard actually thought Gary was kidding, but a publicist made... So he said, no, I'm not having him come in. And that led to one of the greatest Stuttering John moments of all time. This is one of my favorite things I've ever heard on the show. And it, it might not be as funny to you, but it just hit me as funny because I knew the story where Fred Gwynn didn't come in because he didn't want to talk about the Munsters. Right, sure. And the Munsters one of my favorite shows. Howard always says it's one of his favorite shows. So Fred Gwynn's at an event. Stuttering John goes up to him and... And he's, Fred Gwynn's at an event where he's selling and promoting his paintings. Right. So I don't know who wrote this, either Fred, Jackie, or Howard, one of those brilliant motherfuckers. But um, uh, John goes up to Fred Gwynn and says, Fred, when you, you sign a painting, do you, do you sign it? Fred Gwynn or... Herman Munster! <laughs> So there's a pause, and then Fred Gwynn goes, John, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that question. <laughs> it's so... It's so, I mean, that's just like so fantastic. <laughs> it's so pathetic and so sad when people want to just dismiss whatever the past <laughs> instead of embrace it. Right, I mean, what the fuck? The only... Uh, it's like me not talking about heroin and whores. The only... Uh, the only joke uh the only thing i ever remember saying on stern because i used to work late night right and i would do you want to talk about crazy hours yeah when uh now you know it man you you when i met you i thought you were working a 23 hour day basically back in the day i think when you first started or in between before you started right you would be out for a week 
Oh, forget it. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. two weeks or Absolutely. whatever. And so Howard would say, we'll put an ISDN line in your house and you just sit in for you a couple did that. of days. Right, I remember you did. And I would sit in. Now, if you do the time difference math, it's, it's 3 a.m. <laughs> Now I, w- I listened all the time because obviously I was trying to get the job, so I would hear how everyone else did. And I don't know how the fuck you were able to do anything I'm not I, seeing them. I would finish Love Line at midnight. Wow. I would go home at 12.30. Wow. I would drink some red wine. I would go to bed at 1.30 or 2. Right. I would sleep till 2.45. <laughs> it's crazy. And right? the, the, beginning, I, the beginning, I was doing it at Westwood One right. in Culver City. Right. So I would leave. <laughs> now, I worked at Westwood One in Culver City. So I would leave at 12.05, drive home to the Hollywood Hills. Right. At 2.30, get back in the car and drive back to fucking Westwood One and right. to be on the air at 3 a.m. And people great. would say, seriously, not even kidding, how about you just sleep on the sofa at <laughs> Westwood One? And I would say, first off, how the sofa just, at a radio station, how much how much spoo and coke has been spilled on that well, fucking Well, at our, I can here. imagine, it's Beetlejuice's shit. Right, right. <laughs> how much fecal matter would, right. would end up on you. But the, and Lizzie Grubman. The only joke I ever remember ever saying, because I w- was always off an hour sleep, and right. I completely forgot everything, right. everything. And then I would, what would happen was, is I would go to bed at 8 a.m. when Stern <laughs> signed off our time, right. and I would wake up at noon, and then I would have no recollection of doing doing the show and i've gone through this before because it's horrible when you wake up the next day and you realize either the day before or the night before you spoke publicly and you don't remember what you said like you know i've been i've done stand up in a drunk blackout i did three hours of the stern show in vegas in a blackout so the repeat the next day was the first time i was hearing it that's the scariest thing ever it is amazing and the uh the only the only joke was i think it was about uh Seven eight years ago, and there was the uh, Beltway assassin, <laughs> right? The, the guy the in Maryland only, who kept shooting yeah, the people. Only, right. The only black assassin <laughs> ever. <laughs> I mean, they, oh no, Wesley Snipes and the Jackal or whatever yes, the fuck it is, right? Since Day of the Jackal, I mean, this, this guy. <laughs> so this and and so he was shooting. They were shooting. He would shoot people randomly. Right. Like people just be at the gas station. And people be driving across, driving their car down the freeway, and they get yeah. shot from the overpass. And so Robin was doing the news, and she said, "What do people tell their kids? Because kids are freaked out. You know, right. as an adult, you can kind of do the math. Look, there's seven million people in this city. What are the chances yeah. I'm going to get shot? But as a kid, you're hearing this all over the it's news. Like a meteor hitting. Yeah, you, or you something. think you're going to get shot on the way, walking the it, way to school. It's like if a black guy was throwing a meteor." Right, right, out of a trunk with an underage kid. With his son. So I said, uh, so Robin said, what do parents tell their kids? And I said, I'll tell you what they tell them. Only the kids that, only kids that don't clean their room get shot. (laughs) I said, that way you get a clean room and the kid walks to school with peace of mind knowing I just straightened up my room. There's no way I'm a target. And it's win-win. Like, you can literally take this tragedy yeah. and turn it into something. See, that's why you got offered the job. Over- I, I would have just said something like the N-word or something. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, yes. no, right. Stern wanted, yes, Stern did sort of offer me the job. And I was completely flattered because, of course, I'm a huge fan and was back oh, so then Babe, as well. Babe Ruth asking you to hit with him, you know. Right. And I 
couldn't do it because I lived in L.A. and I had uh, jobs in L.A. and I had (laughs) everything going on in L.A. So I couldn't I couldn't move out. Uh, Thank God. But I got to say, Artie, (laughs) you are so good in that role. And I listen and I laugh and I marvel. And it's really it's really it's it's really I mean, there's a lot of funny, you know, there's a lot of funny people and there's a lot of funny actors and there's a lot of guys that are funny at writing stuff and memorizing it and then regurgitating it <laughs> and later on and I, I i really think the audience sometimes doesn't know who's funny versus who's really funny like i, I agree I, I would always say there's people who can do magic there's magicians right and then they're warlocks right and if a guy's a really good magician you don't know the difference. <laughs> well, what I mean is, is right. If a guy, exactly, exactly. Right. You're like you're like a warlock. <laughs> wow, that's the nicest thing ever. A fat, drug-addled warlock. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is what I mean is, is comedian. The illusion of comedy is like the illusion of magic, which right. is. I will go up here on stage. I'm not going to saw anyone in half. I can't make that chick levitate. But if I'm really skilled at what I do and there's right. a couple little smoke and some mirrors, I can make it look like I'm making her levi- exactly. levitate. Exactly. But then there are a handful of guys, Norm McDonald's, oh, yeah, this way, you're this way, where you're actually can do the magic. You're, uh-huh. a, you're a warlock is well, what I'm saying. Well, that's, that's really unbelievably nice of you. And it reminds me of actually the very first time we met was at William Morris because I had a deal at Fox. Oh, that's right. right. This is a great story yes. because because what's great about you is you have analogies about comedy and Norm's this way too. Uh, analogies about comedy that make a great point and they're so fucking funny. And I remember I had a deal at the Fox Network in like 1997, right off after I got out of Mad TV. I did a bunch of sketches, so I had a good reel tape. I had just done a movie that didn't come out and bomb yet, so they thought Dirty Work was going to be a hit. I got a $750,000 development deal with Fox to my own show. And Fox says to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to play a runner for a bookie. And I remember an executive said to me, what's the difference between a bookie and a runner for a bookie? And I said, well, six months or three to five. (laughs) And no one knew what that meant in the room. But um, So um, it turns out that you and Jimmy and his cousin cousin Sal from the show – had a script you were trying to sell called The Bookie or something like right. that about a bookie who lived with his mom and that was similar to, to me. Right. And James Dixon, who was my sure. agent at the Maybe time, no. yeah, yeah, James Dixon said, you know what, when you're in L.A., I want you to hook up with these two guys, Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel. We'll get you in the conference room at William Morris and you'll guy, you guys will talk because maybe they could run your show right. or, or write on the show because you have the right. same idea. So... We the three of us get in there and it's it's the three of us and some age and maybe Dixon and somebody else in Beverly Hills at William Arch. Right. And we're all like, you know, we don't know what the like people who are funny, like you, you don't like you don't know what to say to each other. Like, so you got a good idea, you wanna try it. You gotta read the script. I didn't even right. get the script yet. And we started talking about comedy. And you made this analogy that I've repeated to people a bunch of times. You said people say all the time that comedy is a matter of, uh, you know, it's it, it's a matter of opinion. You know, it's right. it's subjective and it's not right. something is either funnier than something and something's not as funny as something like you said, like there's people who say Murphy Brown is funnier than The Simpsons. Right. And you'll go, no, it's not. That's my and, the, and, yeah. and they'll go, they'll go, no, no well, well, OK, it's a matter of opinion. And you said, no, 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 it's not. I'm telling you, The Simpsons is funnier than Murphy Brown. It's a fact. Right. And if if I had some, you said like if I had some sort of comedy like math machine and I put a computer and I put both Murphy Brown and The Simpsons in it, 
The Simpsons would pop out as funnier than Murphy right. Brown. It's a fact. Your opinion's wrong. Right. And I, I like it. Would, that was so funny and perfect to me because I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's something I always remembered about the yeah, first time I would, we met. I would always say, well, because people always think they're entitled to their opinion, right. which is something, especially about comedy. Especially yeah. about comedy, they don't. I've, I've said a few things. If someone can be an expert on fucking wine. <laughs> Right. Why can't I be a fucking expert in comedy? You know what I mean? People are experts in art. Right. They're experts in wine. They're experts in in food. They're things that are very subjective. And yet there's they're allowed to be experts. But somehow when it comes to comedy, you're allowed to talk to one of your mom's friends and she's allowed to go. I'm (laughs) sorry. Suddenly, Christine is the funniest show on TV or whatever. It and, was suddenly Dana. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, and you can't take that away from me. Right. And I would always say, look, you there's Van Gogh, and then there's dogs playing poker. You <laughs> you can like dogs playing poker more than Van Gogh. That right. just makes you an asshole. Exactly. It, mean it makes anything. you wrong. It makes you wrong. It makes you wrong. Absolutely. And I, I never forget you. And that articulated something that I thought, and I'll never forget well, that. Why can't we be experts in comedy? You're right. I mean, I mean, exactly. Like like. I, they, Einstein was an expert on, you know, relativity. And why can't Dad I? Dad was an expert at putting up antennas and, and stealing ladders and <laughs> falling and falling and leaving his family with nothing. Tables in ways that God never intended them to be used. <laughs> but seriously, like I, I'd say to people, and I and I do say to people, and it's, I sound like an asshole, but I mean, well, I, we all do, man. I, I, I was, we all sound we like all assholes. sound like assholes. But I was a good carpenter, right? And when I would say to people, "Look, I'm a good carpenter. I was a good carpenter," they'd go, "Good. That's that's nice." I mean, that's a good thing. Right. You have pride in your work, blah, exactly. blah, blah. But if you go, I'm fucking funny, they go, okay, jack off. Yeah, yeah. Quit blowing yourself. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story about that. All of my cousins are carpenters. They're all in construction. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm not a carpenter is because they would get me jobs, but I sucked at it. I would, I would be the guy, have, I'd have to load sheetrock or plywood. I would do right. labor because I, I didn't have the skills to be a carpenter. People right. forget that's a skilled labor. So um, one day my grandmother, a real Italian woman, Grandma Caprio for Stern fans out there. I, I'm about 22 years old and I'm just a total fuck up. Just alcoholic drugs, losing. And I walk in and my grandmother is praying to St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I say, Grandma, what are you praying to St. Joseph for? And she goes, well, because all, all the cousins and the guys in the family are carpenters. And St. Joseph was a carpenter. He's the patron saint of the worker, of the carpenter. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I'm praying to St. Joseph. And at the time, I wasn't a carpenter. I was unemployed. And I said to her, well, do you pray for me? She goes, absolutely, every day. I say, to who? She goes, every day I pray to St. Jude for you. And I thought that was nice. You pray to St. Jude for me. So I just leave it at that. A couple weeks later, my buddy's father was a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. And, he, and I find, I, I, he brings up St. Jude. And I go, I know St. Joseph is the patron saint of carpenters and workers. I said, what is St. Jude the saint of? And he goes... St. Jude is the patron saint for lost causes. <laughs> so, so it's like, I mean, yeah, so, so my grandmother thought I was a lost cause and was praying to St. Jude for me. And uh, Couldn't she play that a little closer to the vest? You know what I mean? Like, eventually you do the St. Jude math and be pissed off the old well, I don't woman, think she, wouldn't you? She knew I couldn't do math. Right. Wow. But look at you now. 80 grand a gig. And uh, as as we were saying, the schedule's tough because no matter when you come from 
what we come from, right. which is you've, you've, you saw what your dad did to make right. a buck. Right. You also know what it's like to get eight bucks an hour to hump drywall all fucking day Absolute. in the summer and everything. And somebody says, drywall. Somebody That's a says, great name for an album. I'll give you 80 grand to show up one night. Right. Are you kidding? And it's like, all yeah. the beer you can drink. When are you ever going to say no? And do something that, by the way, I've been doing for 20 years. I could do it in a coma now. Right. Even hecklers. Like, people like, to just standard lines, like, like David Tell says this. I say this, 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 boom, they'll laugh. This guy will call me a fag. I'll say this, boom, boom, boom. It's like a robot, you know, and you get right. the money and you leave. Uh, and it's not just other work. It's stand-up, too. We're, like, stand-up comics who make a lot of money remember when stand-up cost you money. Right. Like, I, asked to, I would take the bus to New York City to do a, a, a spot at the Comedy Cellar. And I'd get paid 15 bucks or 20 bucks for the spot, and it would cost me 30 to get into the city. Right. So you remember those days. Sure. And now you're right, 80 grand. What am I going to say no to that? I mean, who am I, Paris Hilton? Right. Who am I, Brandon Davis? Right. And what, uh, and then obviously Stern is such a great launching well, pad. Like, I mean, you yeah, should yeah. really be paying Stern to be on that show. Well, that's what I said when Jackie left. I said, what Jackie didn't realize is, it's like a salesman. Your salary at Stern is a base salary. Right. The real money is, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, Howard turned me into a mini rock star. Howard right. is everything to me. I love the guy. I love him as a person, as a friend. He's an amazing friend. Like, when yeah. he talks to me off the air about my troubles, he's so compassionate. And Beth is a sweetheart, and I think he has true happiness there. And I'm, and I'm happy for him as a friend. But as a comic, my father, listening to him, working with the guy now... But doing well enough. I've been on the show for eight years, you know, right. it's almost a decade. And I've had offers to do sitcoms and shit since then, and I've had deals. Wow, but it's yeah, like, you, you, almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you always, right, right after 9 11, I got right. it. And, um, and, you know, I think to myself, look, this sitcom would be a lot of money, but in the long run, when I'm dead, yeah. you know, do I want my kids to see me playing the fat neighbor on Everybody Loves Shit Wipe? Or, right. uh, or I love I love Raymond. I just use that right, my right. title as a joke. But um, right. so I, I, or or do they want to hear me do as long as I possibly can until I pass out, right. which might be soon? Working with probably the greatest entertainer of all time, and 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 hopefully helping the show out. So I stay on Howard. Well, what uh, and what about the future? I mean, everyone's curious. I mean, terrestrial radio is kind of in the the garbage. Everyone wants to know what's going on with satellite. Uh, well, you know, we're on the internet yeah. now. What is the what's the future? I mean, what's it what's it look like? Well, I don't care because unless I get a liver, I'm dead in two years. So what really? do I? I <laughs> oh, it's three years. Sorry. I've been given three years to live. No, I, I listen. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I show up and and, and put the headsets on and talk. I don't know what's going to happen. But it, I know my stock options are. If I if I traded in my serious stock options right now, mm -hmm. I would owe Mel Karmas and, and Howard four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so, so I mean, obviously the stocks in the shitter, the whole economy in the right, shitter. It's an economy Everyone, thing, right? I mean, look, I mean. Uh, listen, people say Howard isn't as powerful as he once was. Listen, since uh, since we've been at Satellite, I sold out Carnegie Hall in three hours. Uh, Gary gets offered to do national shows and, 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 and throw out a first pitch like a fag. Yeah, I heard uh, that whole show. Um, you know, um, I, 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 I wrote a book that debuted number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Howard doesn't have any more power. 
I mean, I'm a longshoreman. My book debuted number one over Barack, o- fish, yeah. Bar- Barack Obama's book. Howard is is Howard still. He's been relevant for 30 fucking years. No one else can say that, you know, but and, and, the, and he the, still is. The contract's up in about a year and a half. Right. I mean, I just heard you guys talking about this two days ago, I right. think. And when it comes up, I mean, people have to be speculating. I mean, oh, don't they I, have I'm to sure. Be- I don't know exactly what goes on, but I'm sure the executives are shitting their pants wondering what he wants to do, and I'm, maybe they're they're talking to him now. Because, look, I didn't know how long I was going to last. I had already done four years when we went over there. Four of the five years have flown by. It's almost four years. So that's how much fun we're having, because right. uncensored. and It's like this. like We're just hanging. It's two guys bullshitting. And, you know, and, and uh, so who knows what's going to happen? I, I have no idea. For Howard personally, though, I just wish him happiness because he's been so good to me. And whatever decision he makes, whether I'm there or not, God knows it's going to. I mean, the schedule is getting to me, man. I'm a little burnt out, to tell you the truth. And yeah. and I, I told Howard this and he agreed with me. I, you know, I would rather dig ditches for a living than go back to heroin. Heroin was the ugliest thing ever. It makes coke look like a dance in the woods. It is really? it is awful. It becomes a part of you and and it destroys you. So. I don't want to. Well, that's the whole thing you know, about heroin. Like to me, like heroin and being sodomized are the two things. I just yeah, thought right. here's I, there's two choices. By the way, I've done both. Sodomy's way worse. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like, oh god. Yeah. I could hate it and vomit. Right. Or or worse, I could fall in love with. it. <laughs> In which case, I'd just be fucking mainlining and being cornholed my whole life. That's another great analogy. That's like the Simpsons Murphy Brown thing. Thank you. (laughs) So there are certain things in life where it's like, if it turns out, if, 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 if it doesn't turn out so great, then you had a horrible experience and right. rectal bleeding. And if it turns out great, then you're fucked because for the rest of your life, you're into this. Well, now. let me explain this to you. Here's how great heroin is. If you're the most heterosexual guy in the world, like me and you, mm-hmm. he- heroin will actually make you enjoy getting fucked in the ass. Really? Because it's that good. Why do you think homeless guys can fall asleep on an empty beer bottle instead of a pillow? Right. Nick DiPaolo has a great joke about that because they're on heroin. Right. Heroin makes everything better, man. Everything. Heroin doesn't make you forget your troubles. It makes you not give a shit about them. And it's euphoria and it kills pain like nothing else. And I would go home every night for a while and kill that pain and put on Sister Morphine by the Stones and, and watch documentaries about Charlie Parker and, and right. smoke cigarettes and nod off and almost light myself on fire every night. But sure. the next day was a living hell because I wasn't on heroin anymore. And it's not even really bad for you. According to Dr. Look at, Drew. Look at Keith Richards. Yeah. I mean, you know, it actually preserves you. With heroin, you have to make sure you don't OD. Right. But drinking and smoking is way worse for you health-wise. Right. Yeah. So you're off. It's two and a half months. Yeah. I, I beat the physical. every day. I'm, well, look, I beat the Charlie Parker, who I just mentioned, the great jazz mm-hmm. musician. I'm a fan of his. Uh, he sure, died of a heroin. Bird, her- yeah. Bird. He died of a heroin overdose when he was 34 in 1955, I think. And the coroners thought he was 70. Like, the coroner wrote down 70. He had a great line about heroin that I've said on the Stern Show. I think it's real profound. He, he had been clean for a couple of months, and his wife said, how you feeling? You, are you chipping for it? And he said, listen, they can get it out of your blood, but they can't get it out of your brain. Yeah. You know, so it's out of my blood now. I beat the physical addiction, but you remember how great it was being high and how great it was to forget the fact that maybe you sucked at a stand-up show or a chick you like doesn't like you. Right. Whatever the fuck pain life brings you. Whatever thing you're being I'm a pussy about. I'm just thinking about. of uh, 
you know, the uh, salad days back when black guys used to do the heroin. Yeah, right. I kind of miss those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, Howard, I got, I got another great Howard Stern line from when I was a listener. Howard called Keith Richards the single great white drug user of all time. The greatest white drug user of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Because, uh, like, I, I think the the black guys, the jazz musicians, they knew just the right amount, you know. Like, Miles Davis knew just the right amount to make the horn sound good, and that was it. Yeah, yeah he, he he really is the, uh, I'm trying to, he's Rocky Marciano. <laughs> Undefeated. Of, dr- of white, yeah, uh, yeah. it's like, you, you do that thing with Rocky Marciano, where you go like, eh, you know, listen, Muhammad Ali would have kicked his ass, right, I'm right, sure, right, Larry right. Holmes. But he's the greatest white, Right. Exactly. he's the greatest white heavyweight. Of all time, I would have. I mean, I just read a book. If I could recommend a book, even if you're not a Stones fan, it's called Exile on Main Street: A Season in Hell with the Rolling Stones. And you read that book, and it, basically what it's about is Keith Richards is like an infection. Like he's addicted to heroin. He gets everyone around him addicted to heroin. They all die eventually, and he keeps going. Right. And um, uh, the book is amazing because, and I'll end with this. I know we're getting long here, but I'm having a blast. By the way. Uh, it's always fun talking to funny people, you know, because <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of unfunny people out there who want to talk. But um, uh, the main gist of it is the Stones, after, I think, Sticky Fingers, were broke for some reason. So they had to get out of England mm-hmm. to beat the tax laws. So they right. decided to do their next album, which was Exile on Main Street, in France. Mm-hmm. Keith Richards was married to this chick, Anita Pallenberg, at the time, who was also a bad heroin addict. They had a three-year-old son, but they were very much in love. And Richards rents this villa in the south of France. They convert the basement into a studio, and that's where they're going to record to beat the English tax laws. Mm-hmm. Right before they go, Richards finds out that Jagger is fucking his wife. Mm-hmm. So now the movie, co- I mean, the, 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 the record company's freaking out. Like, they're going right. to fight and break up. And they're never going to talk to each other again. But the English are very stoic, you know. To, right. the, the book claims to this day they have still not confronted each other about it. Really? But Richards knew this. So they go to France to do the album. So instead of yelling at him, Richards was very passive-aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. He would tell them, all right, it's my house. Get here at noon and we'll start recording. So Jagger, Bill Wyman, Charlie Watts, they'd all show up at noon. The way the Stones work was Richards wrote the music Jagger then wrote the lyrics, so they couldn't do shit till Keith Richards wrote the, lyrics, the, the right. music. So they get there at noon. Richards would stay up with the the wife who he knows Jagger fucked, doing heroin upstairs. They wait till two o'clock, three o'clock, ten o'clock. Finally, they would leave every day. Ten hours, no, no Keith. This is bullshit. Right. Like he would ruin their day. Right. So they leave all pissed off. Four o'clock in the morning, they would all get phone calls from Richards going, "Get the fuck over here! I just wrote a song." So they'd all show back up. Mm-hmm. Wanting to strangle him, mm-hmm. and like, and and then Richard would be with a guitar, and that would come like tumbling dice, right. and they'd go, "Holy shit!" Right, the guy's a genius. You know, go do more heroin, and and we'll wait forever for this. And then, and that's how they did, the, and that's a double album. That's how right. they did almost every song, and that's just a brief. Uh, synopsis of the book the stories in there will knock you on your ass and you'll wonder how Keith Richards is alive but that's what he did in a passive aggressive way he got Jagger back but right. instead of killing him or throwing him out of the band they needed him because he, he wrote insane music 
Also, you know, there's a spectrum. Like when someone fucks your wife, you know, <laughs> if it's your brother, you're really pissed. Right, right, right. If it's Julio Glacius, you're like, all right, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. If it's Jagger, <laughs> somewhere in the spectrum between, you know, power forward in the NBA <laughs> and, you know, handicapped guy. Like, <laughs> you, you know, power forward in the NBA. <laughs> And, and, That's great. And a, and a guy with a golf ball sized tumor in the spine of his neck. You know what I mean? Like somewhere in there, I feel like Jagger lands on the happy side of that. Yeah, like, it's kind of he's he's willowy. <laughs> he's sort of it's almost a he's lesbian w- encounter. He's willowy. <laughs> Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he was probably high and fucked so many people they doesn't even remember. Well, the like, book and the book claims that Jagger fucked everybody. The, the, the book claims that, uh, someone in the book says he fucked everyone except Charlie Watts' wife. Like that's the one chick he stayed away from. But Jagger wasn't a drug guy. Of course, he did drugs, but his addiction was pussy and fame. Right. Richards is more of a bohemian. He's like, I just want to be an artist and hang out, you know. Right. But. Uh, uh, it's an amazing. It's an amazing. Well, give book. it out. Uh, give the name out one more time so people can read it. Uh, Too fat to fish. <laughs> no, no, it's called. It's called Exile on Main Street: A Season in Hell with the Rolling Stones. And of course, Too Fat to Fish uh, on uh, in, in paperback, it's in paperback now. It, it, it did so well they made a paperback. I wrote a new chapter, and uh, it's about how I missed the Bob Saget roast for Comedy Central. Me and you, have the, me and you did the U Hefner roast together. Right. And uh, Comedy Central was nice enough to offer me a couple of more. One of them last August was the Bob Saget roast, who I know because he he's the great director of Dirty Work sure. with me and Norm. And I I couldn't make it because right. I was on heroin, and that's what the new chapter's about. If you get the paperback, the uh, the roasts are awesome. It's yeah. uh, you have to fucking piss mm. like. At a certain point, you're sitting there just drinking, right. and you're going into hour three, and you got to piss, and right. Dick Gregory is going on his 48th minute of well, talking about what a civil rights pioneer I Hugh Hefner him. was, and you're like, hey, old man, wrap it the fuck up and get the fuck off stage. People say it's hard. it was hard to follow Kinnison. Let me tell you something. People At a Friars Roast, you're right. You eat dinner first. You have drinks first. People ask you for an autograph first. Three hours before you perform. Right. And so you're all nervous. And then I had to follow nine comics, and then Dick Gregory got up there and praised you, Hefner, for putting a black man on in 1968. Hefner started to cry. Dick Gregory started to cry. The whole place got up I and gave him a standing ovation. So right, and the whole place gives him a standing ovation. Dick Gregory and you, Hefner, hug, crying, a right. civil rights moment. They sit down. Kimmel goes up and goes, "You know our next guy from Hippopotamus Week on the Discovery <laughs> Channel, Artie Lang." <laughs> So it's like, I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's hard to follow. Man. Yeah, it's always the 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 uh, the roasts are always great because they go they go. Uh, before I say anything about Suzanne Summers, let me <laughs> let me do twenty minutes on how Kimmel loves to butt fuck Corolla. Right, exactly. That, that's how. Before I get started on that, let me if I do a half hour on fat jokes for Artie Lang right. and butt fuck. Fuck jokes for Kimmel Corolla, and then eventually, uh, if I think about it, I'll see if I can squeeze one in for Artie Johnson or whoever we're roasting. Well, I told Artie Johnson. Well, I, t- I think that night I told one you. Ha- my first line was a you Hefner thing, and then I just fucked on everyone else. I, my first line was Hef, I smell pussy. Did you burp? <laughs> which, which, 
which he laughed at. I got a good laugh, and then I just shit on everybody else there, like Ice T, pimping right. out, uh, you know, Patty Hearst or something in the coat room. Yes. And uh, you know, uh, well, what happened was when I missed the Saget roast, Jeff Ross had a bunch of fat junkie jokes prepared. Sure. So they they figured they called any fat guy available to right. replace me. So they got Jeff Garland. Sure. But Jeff Garland is a family man. I'm sure he's never done drugs. So I think they had to adjust it. You know, like, uh, Jeff's fat and he's a really bad wine drinker or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. He was chasing the dragon on the set of Daddy Daycare. <laughs> Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. I love Garland, but like, they had to find another fat guy cause, so Jeff Ross's jokes would work. Yeah, he's fat family. You're <laughs> fat druggy, uh, which is a different kind of fat. I'm fat Satan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think uh, it seems like a good note to go out on. Yeah, Fat Satan. And that was Artie Lang talking about working on the Howard Stern show and how good Adam and Jimmy always are whenever they, they come on. And I actually heard that too, Joe. That Howard had a history of the Howard Stern show on, like a special. And Fred, their, their sound effects guy did a talking head where he said yeah there's nobody like adam and jimmy together and if anybody could have it like fred said that they were his choice too like they oh. essentially that there was just nobody like them and uh they were they were the, probably the only guys in, in the jackie chair who really could have hanged or hung with the show and they just they understood it so that's kind of cool to hear yeah. yeah. Um, and well, anyway, speaking of Jimmy, why don't we continue yesterday's conversation with Jimmy Kimmel back in 2009? In our next clip, this is from November of 09. Adam Cruel Show 196 Part 2. Uh, Adam, Jimmy hanging out, uh, just chatting. No audio problems. Mm-hmm. Sound slightly improved. Another great chunk. Hope you guys enjoy it. Randy, you have a question for us? Yeah, how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Where's hey, Randy uh, calling in? I'm just curious. Where are you calling in from, Randy? Calling in from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Jimmy. Oh, all right. I went to college there. Oh, uh, yeah, no, ASU. I went there too. Good uh, times. Yeah, it's a great place to go to school. What's happening, Randy? Not a whole lot. I was uh, reading uh, Bill Simmons' NFL picks a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I came across uh, something he referred to as the Ace Mush, where it was uh, about a guy, a uh, buddy of his, piggybacking on his NFL picks and subsequently uh, just completely ruining them all. I was wondering if, uh, Adam, you're the Ace that he's referring to. I think I may be. Oh, you have to. You're definitely. The, yeah. I mean, there's I'm, no other I've race. lost every bet I've, I've placed with uh, Jimmy's cousin over the last, uh, you know, year and a half. So I, I think I'm, I'm one of those guys. And then and people say to me, my assistant said to me actually the other day, why don't you just bet against the bet you would have made so you'd be sure to win? But that never works when no. you're snake bitten. You're snake bitten. That's not going to work. Fate. Yeah, yeah, you can't. That, that that's and not going to work. In fact, it even becomes more frustrating if you you thought you had the right and you lose because of betting against yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's never going to work. That's the whole point about not being lucky. It's like not being lucky. Of course, otherwise it'd be a commodity. Simmons, well, by the way, is on my show tonight. Selling oh, his his book, which is the uh, number one New York Times bestseller. Yeah, he was. Uh, I actually just spoke to Bill the other uh, last night. As a matter of fact, he just uh, gave me a call and he, uh, he brought that up, <laughs> which is a surprise, surprise. But he should be. Uh, he really should be proud of it. Yeah. Although I I, I don't mean to in, in any way, shape, or form take away from this victory, <laughs> but. 
It, I do feel like a lot of books make it to that place, which... It, I, no, not to number one, no. I mean, maybe it's top ten or something. Yeah, on or, the list, They yes. word it in a, in a way that's, that's ambiguous, confusing, and self-aggrandizing, where they go like... As seen on the New York bestsellers yeah, or whatever, New York they do Times something. But there's ten books on that list. But to be at number one, you've got to sell at least a hundred books. You got to sell a lot of books. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I might be the guy. Randy, did you go to Bill's uh, signing in Phoenix, Arizona? Yeah, I was there. It was a pretty good turnout. He had, uh, I'd say, five, six hundred people there. Yeah. Well, my dad said more, but he's not good at estimating. My dad said he thought it was about a thousand. Yeah, it looked pretty packed, uh, and uh, Bill looked like shit. Looked like he'd been on the road for too long. Bill's not a great-looking guy just to start with. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't get much sun. He's sitting there typing all the time. <laughs> he was telling me that he'd been uh, traveling a lot and uh, really uh, run a little bit ragged, actually, when I was talking to him. Yeah. Plus, I think, he, to be fair to him, he's used to his wife toting his luggage. So to have to That's carry right. your own luggage to the airport, <laughs> even with wheels on it, is an indignity that uh, Bill Simmons really shouldn't have to No one with. should have to suffer an indignity like that. We, we traveled with Bill Simmons. I think his back was hurt or something during that time. I'm going to tell everybody. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell my kid, look, uh, I'm going to give you two choices. Oh, no, as a matter of fact... I'm going to have you do two things, and I'm going to have one, and then segue to the next one, which is this. <clears throat> Announce to the world and everyone you meet that you have a bad back. And I mean right at the top of the greeting. You know what I mean? Like like when they go, you know, if Jimmy, if you're going, hey, I want you to meet a friend of mine uh, from, hey, I'm Adam. Good to meet you. I, I'm sorry for the weak handshake. I have kind of a bad back, a bad back. Just get the word out that you have a bad back, because... Once the world finds out you have a bad back, you're off of a lot of detail. Like, hey, we're helping us move. People yeah. are moving. You know, when you're tw in your 20s, you're constantly moving. You're constantly, like, doing stuff. And you're constantly, like, being recruited by your buddies. Come on. I got an old whatever. We got to pick it up. Or I bought a refrigerator out of the recycler, the penny saver. Yeah. I need you and your pickup truck. Like, So announce to the world that your back is bad. For the first part of your life, as you get older, announce that you have a child with a disability. Oh yeah, for work, especially. whether you do or not. Well, yeah, of course, whether you do or not. I think that goes without. Yeah. Saying. And by the way, how come it's there? Are if no you do, other, that's just dumb luck. There but, are no other body parts that get the like. You say bad back, but there's no like. Ah, I got bad arms, or I have a bad penis, or something like that. You can prove almost everything else isn't bad. Like if you said I have a bad penis i'd be like all right let me see your cock and that'd be like looks fine to me <laughs> no but it's bad it's really really i'm yeah. not from here it ain't <laughs> it feels normal trust me it's bad i'm no. not gonna be able to do anything sorry i need you to, i need your cock to help me move this weekend <laughs> yeah no the bad back is the greatest thing because it's invisible yeah it is and and you don't even have to have an explanation for it because some people just get it right and, and there's no my buddy alex arado had to have back surgery in college because he got out of bed the wrong way. <laughs> Jewish guy, by the way. But literally has a nine-inch scar uh, in, on the small of his back uh, getting out of bed. So, A, it's an invisible... You know, like, you can't say, you know, you can't say to anyone else... You know, you can't say, I have polio. 
right. because they go like, "Where's your Where's your stroke cane? Like, where's your leg braces?" You know, you can say I have a bad back and get out of almost every detail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, but you're also, I think, considered a little bit of a bummer when you're with other people. If yeah. You're- you're a bad back person. Yeah, but you can always have a good back day and be fine that day and then later on have a bad back when it comes to, do, to comes time to do some work. And then, as I said, with the kid, the special needs kid, that's more about work. Oh, disab- disabled kid with a bad back. Oh, that's clear. I like that. <laughs> I like combining the two. Yeah. He fell out of the wheelchair that he propels with a straw and hurt his back. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, I've always said, you know, as far as work goes, you could definitely get out of a lot of work. Manual labor, for sure, yeah. I, I want to do, uh, speaking of work, I wanted to, uh, do we have another call, by the way? Max has a stoner question. And then, and then I want to go over the, uh, the late night scene and the schedule. I know it sounds yeah. weird, but whenever I would hear in, celebrities interviewed, or especially people did like regular shows like you do, I'd want to know what the schedule was. You know, when I was young, and if Letterman would have said, I go to work, I get right. into work at 9.30, we have a writer's meeting at 10.30, like, I'd, I'd be infinitely fascinated with the actual schedule. So we'll get into that one second. But Max? Hey, Adam, what's up? What's going on, Max? Call him from New York? Yeah. You have a question? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what you think of uh, stoners and all their Bob Marley flags and jam band music. Don't they just give everyone else who smokes pot a bad rap? Hmm. Well, let me just say that there's no one that hates reggae more than Adam Carolla. Yeah. <laughs> hate, I really hate reggae. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, I don't... Look, you know, if you want to wear the patchouli oil and be, you know, Bob Marley light, that's your business. I'm really... I'm mostly focused on Al-Qaeda these days, you know. I'm really done... I'm done attacking the people that cause no harm. Uh-huh. I'm really now into the guys that uh, shout out. Well, you let, me, know. let me point out, though, when we went to Jamaica, mm-hmm. you remember we show up in the airport in Jamaica and there's yes. a guy with a uh, Osama bin Laden T-shirt on? Not oh, that yeah. long after 9-11. Yeah. We were both very angry, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, well, and also, he was security, so there's nothing we yeah, could do about true. it. He was carrying a gun. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That was weird, right? I mean, that was like, oh, maybe they're not our friends. <laughs> I don't know. I just assume everyone secretly resents us, and especially everyone who relies on tourism. Yeah, because Except that's what I like. That's why I love the Mexicans. They don't seem like they do. When you go there, no, they seem happy that you're there. No, sadly, the guy who mows my lawn hates me a lot more than the guy who's bringing me a daiquiri when we're out fishing in Cabo. But the black countries seem to hate us more than Mm -hmm. the brown countries do. Interesting. And the white countries hate us the most of all. And Well, I would say none hates us as much as Hawaii. Really? Well... Hawaiians traditionally don't like the howlies that show up at the it, it uh, yeah. to you know have I've sex with their women and that, stay uh, at their hotels. Oh no, we're you, not having sex with those women. You have to leave the confines. And by the way, their women are the hot strippers we fly in to work their strip joints. If you have to leave the confines of the hotel, remember when we were golfing in Hawaii and you were explaining to the woman who was running like the. Uh, she had like the uh, beer kiosk that uh, 
remember, you were telling me the reason Hawaiians love spam so much is because they used to be cannibals. <laughs> you and, and Fletch. And I was saying that's ridiculous. And then you said to the Hawaiian woman, isn't this true? And she was not amused by it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that may have been my own theory. I don't know. Uh, Jill, by the way, is calling from... Uh, but anyway, I'm done hating people that do nothing. I'm now focused solely on the people that volitionally do damage. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. You're really maturing. You. <laughs> is Jill calling from Arizona? No, I'm calling from Las Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Hey, what's yeah, happening? Vegas. So, um, okay, so I have a friend who lives in the lovely Pahrump. Mm. Oh, yes, Pahrump. <laughs> that she just bought a car that was on the man show mm-hmm. and it's a big white and mm-hmm. lime green car with lime green interior mm-hmm. does that sound familiar could be the bishop don magic one one of his many custom rides <laughs> uh, uh, they said it was on that was a selling point that the car was on the man show yeah oh you know we did many many sketches that involved cars so oh, i don't yeah, remember that have at to all, see it I'd, we'd have to see it the uh yeah. I was in, interior doesn't ring a bell. I had the misfortune of being in Pahrump about uh, a year ago, and it was awful. Why were you in Pahrump? Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jimmy. I didn't tell you about this uh, odyssey known as uh, Top Gear. I mean, oh, I, I, yes, you did. I, yes, I regaled you with some of the misery of it, but yeah. I never plumbed the full depths of just how goddamn miserable... Pahrump is insanely miserable as far as a town goes. Yeah. And we were in the casino, which is, you know, you know how when you go to Vegas and you get off the strip and you go to some of these places that are just really depressing. Yeah, that's where you know, I grew like, up. Like, right. That's <laughs> like, like these two-story casinos. Yeah, right. Yeah, the local. Yeah, the and local the carpet casinos. is just a disaster and everyone looks like they're just waiting to die. And there's like, uh, you know, yeah, there's four-year-olds smoking. Start and, burning yourself with a cigarette. Right, right. It's just horrible. That's what Pahrump is. And, and just, I, I got the deluxe suite, except for the deluxe suite is from 1961 and has indoor-outdoor carpet that's bursting at the seams and a, <laughs> and a hot tub that has been like fucked in so many times that you literally scared you're going to get like HPV by just looking at the hot tub like you would never get near the you yeah. know and yeah. it's just old fashioned TV with the big tube in it and everything smells like cigar smoke and it, oh god so brutal Pahrump used to as a kid growing up in Las Vegas Pahrump represented the place where we got fireworks because like everything's legal there I think right. even, I think prostitution is legal there. Maybe a little bit farther out. But. Oh no, it is. Oh yeah. Well, you remember? Yeah. I, I don't want to name names, but we Dog. had a friend. <laughs> we had a friend who called it Pahrumpf. Yeah. Who? Well, uh, he was drunk. To be fair. Yeah. Many years ago. Wheels up. Wheels up. Yeah. Four a.m. Yeah. 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 No, there's a lot of hookers there. Heidi Fleiss went there to like set up. Yeah. Set up camp. What a horror! What a really like I you know I, I think people think we'd we'd be like into that for some reason. No, people have this, this, but I mean, really, imagine going to a trailer, and in that trailer there are a group of um, a, 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 fattish women, 
uh, incest survivors. Incest survivors. <laughs> right. Who are lined up and sitting at some sort of like, and, and you, you have to think about the fact that they're there every day. Like you, this may be just a, you know, a 45 minute unpleasant experience for you, but for right. them, this is, that's their workplace. That's and, their life. And not only that, but if you really think about it and, and you go back in your own, you know, dating life, when you think about the woman or the women you were with sexually, you would oftentimes think about the other guys they were with sexually. And if, like, their last boyfriend was Ted McGinley, you'd be like, all right, he seems like a clean dude. He's nice looking. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. And then you're with him, and it's really not so bad. It's kind of like you're... But if her last boyfriend was a pig, you're like, ugh. Yeah. Oh, I hate that guy or that guy. Oh, sorry. Oh, he's a pig. You know, and like in whatever. This case, it's a whole petting zoo of pigs and it's a menagerie and goats. of guys who can't get laid in the real world. So yeah. it's not only that, but another thing I never really factored in just hearing one of these women talk, a lot of like handicapped, disabled guys, yeah. mentally disabled guys, guys who can't function within our society. Uh, I mean, you are with the bottom feeders, the the catfish of our society. So if you're just looking at the basic sort of cootie factor of like, who were you with last? Yeah, it's no, it's bad. Julio Iglesias Jr. is not on that that list or whoever, uh, whatever Latin crooner you're thinking of. You're really talking about some guy who, you know, you're talking about like Larry Flint. Yeah, you're talking about people with stumps. Right. Like Larry Flint just got done rolling over, and she, you, now your ticket comes up like some. Uh, some You're talking very about bakery. Special Olympians celebrating their victory, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So anyway, it's one of the. It's 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 ugly. It's scary. And it seems like it's the only town I've been to that feels like you're being punished when you're there. Like if I lived in Vegas and my kids started acting up, that would be their time out. Like I'd be, you know, instead of, oh, for, you know, you're not going to watch TV or you're going to bed without your dessert. It'd be like, you want to go to Pahrump? Huh? No. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> we'll go to Pahrump. We'll stay there for 15 minutes. Like it, it was scary and miserable. And then if you go when I was there in like August... The heat index just adds, a, it, it ramps up, like, you know how they have the wind chill factor where they go, well, in, in Duluth, it's minus four, but with the wind chill, it's minus 34. Like, it feels like, oh, yeah. Prompt feels like shit at 75 degrees. Prompt at 114 degrees, you, you can't. You can't escape. This I shit always factor. wonder, like, how people wind up there and then why they wind up staying. It's, it's, I mean, it's not like there are a lot of jobs. And it's also, it's also, I've, I've said this a million times. Like, if you were just going to go, if Jimmy Kimmel, you just said, look, I'm going the civilian route, so to speak. I'm not going to come out to Hollywood and try to, you know, parlay radio into a basic cable hit and then into my own successful late night show and so on and so forth like i just want to be a civilian i just want to live amongst the people have a regular job and call it a life wouldn't you just go to santa barbara and get a gig at a starbucks and that yeah, way you might as well go in, someplace that is already nice you'd be yeah. in santa barbara 
Yeah. Like, all right, you'd be you'd be making seven eighty five at a Starbucks, but when you punched out and stepped out, you'd be in Santa Barbara staring at the ocean. Uh, although, what if you love fireworks and trailer horse? <laughs> That's true. You don't and, get that in Santa Barbara. And yeah, and you're like, you know, almost nobody here is dragging an oxygen tank behind them. This is horrible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I spent like three goddamn days in that place, and then I went to a junkyard in Pahrump. And the thing about the salvage yards, like, if you if you go to a salvage yard out here in Los Angeles, it is some of the scariest people on the planet. Oh, yeah. Imagine what that sun-blasted place looked like. Oh, it was I, like out of a movie. Would the, are the people scared? I would think maybe they'd even be less scary in a way. Just like when you go to like Utah and you walk into a Jack in the Box, the uh, employees are not as scary as if you walk into you know uh, a Riverside Jack in the Box. Oh, you mean like somehow like like the mayor could potentially own the junkyard in, in Pahrump? Yeah. No, there was a guy. Driving around a car with no doors on it. Not, not doors that were open, but doors that were not attached. <laughs> it, it's weird. It's, it's weird to see a guy drive a car with no doors on it. He was yeah. just driving around the junkyard <laughs> and he had missing teeth and he was in, insane. No teeth, no doors. Nothing. Uh, horrible, horrible experience. And then ended up in Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in, in North America and, and it was 132 degrees. I, I bad took, I water a basin in Badwater Basin. Yeah, uh, we have one more call. Let's any take one more call in, from any water uh, in the Badwater Basin. Death Valley is just that. It is a valley where nothing can survive, and it is. I mean, you're you you spent time in Palm Springs, spent time in Vegas, you spent time in Arizona. It was a hundred and thirty. Two oh, yeah, degrees. Yeah, Chris That's from so Philly. Hey guys, what's up? What's happening, Ace Man? Um, I was wondering, and Jimmy as well, how you guys feel about ex-girlfriend porn? Like Ooh. people take pictures of their girlfriends and put them on once they break up. Yeah, see, I was talking to a guy who will remain nameless, Doug. <laughs> Let's just call him <laughs> Doug, and. <laughs> He said that he had this, you know, of ex-girlfriend stuff. Yeah. And, and, and you know, people get married and they have kids and they move on and stuff, but yet the tape exists. Right. The tape can really, only harm can come from owning this tape yeah. now. Yeah. But could you honestly look me in the eye and say you'd throw it in the crusher? Like what would you what would you do with this tape? Yeah, no, you'd have to say. I mean, yeah, it's like what the problem is is the the, the women should know better than to trust us with a video camera, right? I mean, there's there's no good that can come of it. I mean, it really isn't. And the only you know, first off, you have to label it. I I would label it you know World War II's greatest battles, right? Yeah. Like you can't label can't label it. Anything that would make your old lady pop it in for just uh, a fucking hot second. Yeah. Right head cleaner or something on it. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, head so, cleaner could so sad. Be the title of one of those. <laughs> I am, I, as, as God is my witness, did one of those things. It was a good eight years ago where I went through my video collection looking for some stuff I hadn't seen in a while that yes. would almost feel. Rekindling an so, old relationship. I was looking for that new porn smell. 
came. I, I at a certain point had taken a white china marker and just wrote written in my horrible scribe. You know what? It, you know weekend roulette. You know, or sometimes I would just Jack write Oak. good. You know, on it like or picture of a frowning face, which meant like not so bad that I'm going to toss it, but don't waste time popping right. this one in. Saw one where I wrote head cleaner on it and went, what have we here? Like, literally thought it was a blowjob thing and popped it in and watched, you know, five minutes of fuzz before I realized there was nothing going on. Let me ask you this. Anyway, let's just ask, what do you think of the ex-girlfriend porn? I love it. You love it. But you love your own ex-girlfriend porn. No, uh, yeah, I have a few thousand pictures of this one girl I dated. A few thousand? A few thousand. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's got to know at some point you're going to share that with others. The only oh, yeah. porn I, if I was going to delete it. The <laughs> only porn I enjoy watching is I, I have no interest in professional actors. That sort either. of thing is the only either. thing I have any interest in watching because you can I can imagine that the people are enjoying it. You're right. And Man. if if the people aren't enjoying it, I can't enjoy it. But also from a just pure sort of voyeuristic standpoint, the person who agreed to it and accepted money in advance in the beginning doesn't feel like a peek behind the curtain to me. No, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's I just- I like the I like the you know bootleggy amateurish. I like the first time, by the way. Like I I like the this is the first porn. Yeah, except it never mm-hmm. is. I know it never it never is. But you know what it is? It's that kind of weird, darker, grainy camera set on a a table, right. amateur. Yeah. And actually, that's where I'm going. I think the henchman's got me on the milf porn and amateur. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been turning to as I've gotten older. Oh, so you're saying our friend uh, Kevin Hench has turned you on to the milf porn? Well, he started talking about it, so I kept on doing amateur milf search. Yeah. And then I like I start going, hey, I liked it, and also because hey, this feels real. Nobody's being, you know, abused or tortured. It seems like somebody's By the at way, home. if you're like a wife, like Kevin's wife or something like that, or Donnie's wife, you, you got to be a little bit psyched about that, right? Like, oh, look, he's yeah, looking up old ladies. on. Right? Uh, he's looking up women older than me. Whoa, <laughs> no, not that good. old. No, but I mean, the, the, <laughs> we were talking. He's talking about 26-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the porn department, they're mills. The, the, the point is this. I agree. If if you if you're a woman and you catch your man, you know, looking at porn, pleasuring himself to porn, what you should hope for is that whoever he's pleasuring himself to, you would be a reasonable facsimile of. Yeah, you don't want him looking at barely legal or something like that. Right, when you celebrated your 45th birthday, or you don't want him looking at you know Asians with the you know triple D cops when right. you're a flat-chested Anglo. Woman, because believe me, no matter what it is he says, he wishes you were that at least for a night. Yes, and it's so fu- it's it's insane. Or you would leave so that could come in. Right, it's so insane. I mean, women are insanely gullible that way. Like when I used to do Love Line all the time, I'd have people, women calling up, going, "I caught my boyfriend looking at gay porn, but he's not gay." Yeah. And to and to any guy who knows guys and who is straight, they, we know that's insane. Yeah, because it it has a physical effect on you where it actually makes you like gives you a sick feeling, and and, and is revolting and sets the masturbation back. Could even be days, possibly years. Yeah, gay porn. Anyone knows that if a guy is straight, 
He doesn't dabble in gay porn. He doesn't have a curiosity or passing interest in gay porn. It's not one of these things where it's like, sure, I love the ladies, but yeah, who doesn't like watching a couple hours of gay porn on the weekends? No, impossible. Even to the extent of when you go to an adult bookstore and you're browsing, you have to be really careful not to not to laser focus into the gay. You don't want to wander into the gay section. Because if you do, yeah. it's going to ruin things. I I would talk about it more, except for my class action lawsuit that I'm trying to start against the guys that have gay bookstores and don't yeah. put the orange traffic cone it's up. Some kind of thing before, you, yeah. you can do as a result of taking that uh, fo- that photo shoot you had today. Oh, you got a lot of oh. cachet now. You That's can spend right. it, you know. So I want to talk about uh, the schedule. Oh, all right. Well, it's boring, know. but I'll tell you. I mean, I know, but you it's, know what it's, my schedule is. I, I do, but I think people would like to hear it. I think it's it's. Interesting. All right, I'll go through it in excruciating detail for you, please. I go to work. At, the latest I'll go to work is 11 a.m. That's when we have our writers meeting. A lot of mm-hmm. times I go in earlier than that. Mm-hmm. We have a writers meeting where all the writers gather at the table from 11 to 12:30, and they argue over what food they're eating we don't anymore because we have a whole thing we've eliminated that from it we have we just we We order the food argue over and it always pissed me off by the way that we all like the chinese food and then bill simmons announced that chinese food made you not funny or something like that i don't remember what it was is that right yes you gotta ask tony or one of the other guys about it but at one point Bill Simmons did the, this Chinese food, none of us can think with it. And then, then it went away. Like well, someone went, well, fuck this Chinese food now. We're yeah. not going to eat any more Chinese well, food. Well, let's see. I've, I've still have not had good Chinese food, really, in, in L.A., especially in the Hollywood area. Yes. I don't know. What's up? I don't either. We've got Chinese people. Uh, I guess Chinatown, but it's too far to go for lunch. But anyway, 11, 11 to 12.30 writers meeting. Then I, I, all the ideas that I like from the writers' meeting. Now, what's being pitched there? Monologue jokes? Monologue jokes, bits for mostly monologue stuff. Mm-hmm. I will boil it down to one page of things I like, and then I email it to everyone. They go back to their office to, uh, to work on those ideas. I then have a meeting with the segment producers who handle the guests. From 12.30 to 1 o'clock, we go over what we're going to talk about with the guests. Then from 1 to 2... I have like free time to go over the uh, the jokes and ideas, and I'll edit scripts. At two o'clock, we have rehearsal. We have rehearsal for usually about forty five minutes or so. Then I'll come back to my office. I will uh, go through all the jokes that were written, pick out the jokes that I like. I will um, I will then uh, email those back, and they begin working on the monologue. Then I will work on um, the guest segment cards, and then I will write from five to six p.m. I will write the monologue. Mm-hmm. Or rewrite the monologue that I, I've been given. Right. I rewrite it, and then from um, six to seven, I get makeup, I get dressed, I go over the uh, the guest segment cards um, in final form. At seven o'clock, we do the show, seven to eight. Then after the show, there's a little bit of decompression time, and then I'll go home. I'll write intros for the guests. I'll go over any scripts that I didn't have a chance to get to. That day, and um, you know, scripts meaning scripts for stuff that you guys are going to go out and shoot in the field, shoot in the field, or commercial integrations, that sort mm-hmm. of thing that we do at the top of the show. Any, any, every script I, I go over, every script that comes um, through, I go over it because I'm a lunatic. Yes, Jimmy's very hands-on and very uh, meticulous, and the uh, which I'm sure all the writers hate. <laughs> 
but occasionally puts a smiley face on a script, although not often. And a lot of corrections on spelling and grammar and punctuation. Yeah, I can't concentrate if there's a spelling spell. error. Yeah, I cannot concentrate. I will do, all I will see is that word spelled wrong on the cue cards if there's a word spelled wrong. So I have to make sure everything is perfect beforehand. Um, you see, I could never do that, and I could never... I could never deliver the monologue. That's the part. Like, I could have ideas of things I wanted to talk about, but I could never just get up there and deliver a succinct monologue. That would be, that would you be one of my the, like, biggest the, stumbling The point. lifetime of prep for it, which I accidentally had, really, I, which was just reading a million comic books when I was a kid, and I read a lot, and then a lot of drawing, which I was... Would, gave me the ability to focus on things for long periods of time if mm-hmm. I need to. Living in a house full of very loud people. So I, I really, like, nothing distracts me. I could have the TV on. I could have ten people in my office talking. And I can still write the monologue and just get it hashed out. And then being on, doing sports on K-Rock for five years where, where I had six sportscasts every morning. And I had to write them real quickly and then deliver them and then write another one and and deliver it and just keep doing that over and over again. I just didn't really realize that I was practicing. You yeah, know? Jimmy would be there on his Tandy computer at K-Rock firing, writing, you know, a page of of uh, original dialogue, you know, sports dialogue, but, you know, scores and jokes and everything else, and then deliver it six times a week. It was really six like... Six times a day. I mean, sorry, six yeah. times a day, 30, 30, 30 times a week. And it was really like some sort of basic training for doing that, even yeah. though at the time you probably didn't probably didn't know it. But yeah, because I would immediately get lost and get distracted, and and it's cue cards, right? I mean, yeah. it's why why not a teleprompter? I was just thinking about this the other because day. Why are we still using cue cards? Because y- you can be loose with cue cards and. The human can like kind of skip if you want to skip a joke or reword things or whatever. It's just easier to be loose with cue cards than it is with the teleprompter because the teleprompter just scrolls and you really can't, you know, you can't fool around with it. And you know, I could motion to the cue card person. The teleprompter person is not in the um, in the room with you. They're in right. another room running it. So right. it's just easier to have a dialogue. It is. It is weird that you know. 30 years on, I mean, since the teleprompter was invented, that the cue card business is still booming. I mean, not that I would advise my kid to be a cue cardist, although knowing, I don't think Corollas would have, I, I, that's the one job I could never do in a billion years. I would cut out pictures of stuff and put it on there instead of <laughs> trying like to spell road. it. <laughs> yeah, it would be horrible. But, but. The idea that Courtney does yours, right? Courtney and Brian. And Brian, first off. Brother and sister. Imagine you and your sister. Could you imagine you and your sister doing that? Teaming up to do something like that? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I know. It takes, I think, I don't know. they They don't seem to fight. But I tell you what, when one of them makes a spelling error, the other one is delighted. Really? That I catch, yeah. Yeah. They're cute. They're cute cue card couple i don't know how that works i don't know if anyone could i there's gotta be i had married cue card um holders as at, well at ben at, stein uh, or ben stein's money yeah and in oh. fact they worked on the man show for a while they were married Who? i think it's one of those things i mean to be honest it's like it's one of those things where 
it doesn't require a tremendous amount of, of um, I mean, you have to be able to print stuff out in a quick way, and then you have to be sharp on stage. But, you know, if you got a good job doing cue cards, you could probably get your brother or sister a job doing it. I feel like it takes more talent to do the cue cards than to read the cue cards <laughs> or and create it's, what's on the cue cards. It's a order for you, yes. I, I am more in, I'm more in, in awe of those people. What, I, what I'm surprised by is that somebody hasn't figured out a printer for cue cards that you just type it all in and it just spits, it all, spits the cards out. Yeah. Well, it is funny, and you've probably done a ton of this shit where they go... There's uh, people have no idea how unprofessional this town is, and when you go do some shoot, like I don't know, MTV wants you to go do some intro for their MTV awards or whatever. They think it'd be funny if you stood on top of a school bus. They're going to get a camera, and they have a whole list of like celebrities you have to go through or whatever. And you go, "Is this written down anywhere?" And someone will go, "Uh, yeah, let me get," and they'll get it on a thing. Except for the camera will be four feet in front of you, and the person that's holding the cue card will be six feet to your right. And you'll yeah. go, well, how am I supposed to look at the card and talk to the camera? And then they'll go, oh, I, I don't know. And then someone else will hold it in some other position, and now you're staring at the cameraman's feet while you're reading it. When I was at Fox, I had to do football picks, and they didn't have cue cards you know, there at the time. So I would actually cut little strips of paper because I can't remember information. I can remember jokes. I can remember that sort of. But I can't remember, like you know, which teams are playing and what the score is going to be. That sort of thing. So I would cut out stri- I cut strips of paper out with the type, and I would ta- scotch tape them around the edge of the camera. Right. So wow. the camera would have so you could look right at the paper. So I, yeah, it would be looking essentially right at it. Yeah. I uh, did that uh, sitcom pilot. Over the summer, at the beginning of the no May, I did that in May. There was our, the script was like forty-seven pages, yeah, and I had a good chunk on forty-six of the forty-seven pages. Like I had to memorize that whole I goddamn script. I would not be able script. to do that. I, I I don't know how they, people do that. I was miserable. There's got to be. And do you get better at that? Because it's a different thing every time. And you hear these actors, they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you just the, memorize like. How the hell do you memorize all that stuff? First off, you think to yourself, why did I do this to myself? Like, why did I put myself in every... I should. I wish I would have had a, you know, gone into a you coma. Be the wacky at some neighbor. Point. Yeah, I want to be. I'm dying to be the wacky neighbor in the Adam Carolla show. <laughs> but uh, what am I thinking? Like, number one, and then number two, I can, it's. I, there's no way I can d- digest all of this goddamn dialogue. Uh, there's a couple of things. First off. If you wrote it, it's a little easier. It is easier. Yeah, I have monologue almost memorized every night just because I wrote it. Except for what really is a backbreaker is when you memorize eight pages and they all leave and then get changed. And then at a certain point, they'll change your kid's name. Because my kid's name was like Joey, and it got changed to Billy. And after after two weeks of calling him Joey, you can't just switch over to calling him whatever. But you will start to you'll start to digest it. The two hundred people in the audience will make you not want to make an ass of yourself, and they give you a dialogue guy. <laughs> it's out of a out of a movie. Right. My guy was named Ringy. 
Ringy <laughs> was the guy we talked uh, talked about forty five minutes ago, who's you know fifty five but insists on wearing the DKNY shoes that aren't uh-huh. tied and the and the shorts and whatever. And he's walking around and. and He's basically when he's not with me in my dressing room, he's out. He's out smoking, and then he comes back again. And you just run. You run every scene. You just keep running every scene, and you kind of do them like like you go. What's what's next up, Ringy? And he'll go the kitchen scene where you argue with your wife. That's the next thing, and then he'll just literally start going into it. Now the thing that's funny is it's a portly guy who's in his fifties and smells of tar and nicotine, and he says. Honey, you're late. And I go, well, then I wouldn't be late if somebody would have taken the garbage cans in while I was hard at work. Oh, really? Well, do you want some tonight? Because you should change your attitude. And you go, I want some. Of course I want some. I need some. How about it? It's been three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. Well, maybe if your attitude was a little bit better and you got me that tennis bracelet. Meanwhile, it's just a fat guy who's 55 who's doing this scene with you. And And all you're doing, the thing that's funny is all you're doing is getting in your next outfit and you're not acting at all. Which is weird, you're too. Just you're just having a gay relationship. You're so. having a monotone gay relationship while you do something else. But here's what's happened. That's where I walk in to say hello to you in your dressing room, and I go, and I overhear you talking to Ringy. This go, is the sitcom. Adam's gay. Adam's yes. secretly and gay. And then I spread it around to everyone, and no one comes to your house for well, football on Well, Sunday. maybe if you'd be a little more affectionate <laughs> and take care of my needs as a man every once in a while, we wouldn't be in this mess. <laughs> No, I don't want to go to counseling. I just want sex, for the love of Christ. Hmm? <laughs> and it's so funny. And the, it's, it gets it gets in more it gets more surreal when I then go into the bathroom and I'm taking a leak and the door <laughs> shut and he's saying, "Let's not argue in front of the kids." And I'm yelling while I'm pissing. Hey, it's a high time they know what kind of relationship we have. <laughs> that's that's the insane part. And then you literally like. Just stand behind the flat that is your kitchen wall, like moments before you do it, and you just back, 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 back. Yeah, back, back. it's no good. I don't know. I, I really don't know how people do that. I, I, I do not wish it upon upon anyone. They and, said uh, Don Rickles said that Robert De Niro in Casino had just like cue cards, like pasted in various places. And um, and he he had a whole monologue. He had to yell at people and curse and all this sort of thing. And um, and uh, he would just look at these cue cards that were all in different spots. There's, but only De Niro gets to do that. I mean, you can't do that uh, otherwise because you'll be. You have to get to like season five of your very successful yeah. sitcom because uh, this guy would tell me stories about people who had to deliver like a whole thing into like an open casket and just had the script sitting on top of the corpse. Yeah. You know, Grandpa, you know, I'm going to miss you. And Because imagine actors, they're lazy and they're crazy. So sitting around and memorizing dialogue is not at the top of lazy or crazy's list. No, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and you know, and self-entitled. And by, once, you get, once you get into syndication and you have a couple of years of success, who the hell wants to sit around and spend their weekend... You know, with that script, so they. I actually, it out. if I have to, if I'm in a situation where I have to act or deliver 
I will try to, I will try to write the scene around like that I have a clipboard or some sort of, there's like a, like I'm sitting at a, a table eating so I can look, look down and I'll have the, the dialogue because I can't remember anything. Oh, you will. I mean, you would if you were dumb enough to make that choice for, for a career path. And, uh, then they switch jokes up on you at the last second. It's really. And you can't, you can't divert from that script because they have to shoot it from a bunch of different angles and it all has to match up. Right. So yeah. you can't just go, ah, oh, well, it's close enough. Right. It's horrible. Ugh. I don't know why people do it. All right, Jimmy, where the hell did the time go? Over an hour. That's what I love about the J-Man. Uh, ABC, uh, how's everything going, by the way, with all the late nights and the shakeups and We're the number one now. and the Fallons? Number one. You dropped down to number one. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> we were 1A. Now we're 1. No, uh, things are going great, actually. Things are going very well. I, uh, I heard that. Actually, Leno said that. Leno said uh, Jimmy seems to be benefiting. I don't know. I, I couldn't figure it out. From Conan? From Fallon? What, it, what, what's going on in the late night? Landscape in the late night landscape. Um, a lot of people stop watching television late at night when Jay Leno went to ten o'clock. I mean, it's amazing. A lot of people just went away. Really, they, they just stopped watching television at that. I think like two million people stopped watching late night late television. Night TV. Yeah. So you're saying the pool? It's weird because it's she not even down. like it's not even like other people really went up. It just those people just went away. I don't know where they went. Uh, but they went away. And is like, is Conan doing good? Is he barely hanging on? Is it the kind of thing where you think Leno will be back where Conan is in a year? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think Conan's doing pretty good. You know, I think that he's not doing as well as Leno did. But um, you know, it's it's. I tell you, the thing is, it's like you have to really define what is doing good because if you look at the ratings 20 years ago you know we have you know so many more people watched johnny cards you know they've yeah. dwindled so far i mean the pie is just being split up in, in many more pieces now and you really like you know you have like something like six percent of america is watching late night talk shows at that time and the other 94% is watching something else. It is, uh, it's almost sort of the opposite of movies in the sense that, you know, they'd go, well, highest grossing movie, but now movies are 15 bucks a ticket or 12 bucks a ticket, and they were 75 cents a ticket, so you can't really yeah, do... Yeah, you got a situation now where, like, the, a show that in 1975 would be the 75th ranked show would be a top five primetime show, you know, right now. yeah. And then there's like Wanda Sykes coming on board. George Lopez is doing yeah. something. It's just insane to me. But I always just uh, I always say this, and I know it sounds um, you know mildly condescending, but people say, "How's Jimmy's show doing?" And I go, "I really I don't know, but I'll give you the same answer." We were talking about my restaurant, which I haven't been paid back on at all, right. uh, which was a funny conversation we had the other day, which is. If in this day and age, if you open a restaurant or you open a late night franchise and seven years on, you're still on the air, you're doing good. That's what I'm you calling need to know. that is, yeah. is I will call that a success story. 
That's uh, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yep. Because uh, I have no idea what anyone's numbers are, and they're never any good anymore because everything's whacked into too many too many pieces. Although I guess uh, I guess Letterman got a nice bump with the whole scandal that uh, went down a couple. Do you couple think weeks that back. if you invest one invests fifty thousand dollars in a restaurant, not loans, but actually invests, that one would be entitled to split the profits seven yes. years later? Yes. I should. I, I agree I, I with should you. At least see if I can get a free meal out of that joy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the great uh, Jimmy Kimmel, ABC twelve oh five every night, and uh, who's on tonight? Uh, yeah. Bill Simmons is on oh, right. tonight. I think Chris O'Donnell is on the show tonight, and of course, I don't know people I know listen whenever they want to, but uh, right. That's who's on uh, Tuesday night. Or this week, I should I should say. Oh, uh, I don't even... Oh, Huey Lewis in the oh, news are going to be on right. on my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a nine-year-old. Good and gay. Yeah. So, until next time, this is Adam Carolla for Jimmy Kimmel saying mahalo. Carolla Classics is brought to you by LifeLock. If you think it's easy to spot a scam email, then you might want to think again. Cyber criminals use spear phishing attacks that are more tailored and researched than normal scam phishing emails. And these targeted attacks focus on an individual and try to trick them in revealing personal information by posing as a trusted friend, a boss, a company or family member. And it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet and in an instant, a cyber, a cyber criminal harm what's yours, your finances and your credit, but Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. And if they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. You got to check it out. Such a great service. It's LifeLock. Tell them, Geo. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year with promo code ADAM. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to LifeLock.com. Use promo code ADAM for 25% off. And that was Jimmy Kimmel back in November of 2009. Once again, no audio problems. And as I always said, when Geo improves the sound a little bit, I call it G-Mastered. So that was the G-Mastered version of that clip. And that will do it. Uh, Go back to that, the shoe thing. I didn't tie my shoes for quite a bit of time, and I went back to it. I don't know why. Uh, But Jimmy apparently hasn't been doing it for years. And then he talked about how if he ever gets in like a street fight, he's in trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was really funny. Look, that's very valuable running away time that you're going to have to... You're going to have to run barefoot or in socks. You better be prepared for some ouchies. All right, that was part one of today's episode. Stick around. Part two coming up next.